Amen. Would you please remain standing if you're able and turn with me to Genesis chapter 28. I believe that's page 22 in the Pew Bible. And actually, we'll begin at the last verse of chapter 27. And we'll read through verse 9 of 28. Hear God's holy word. Verse 46. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paran Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Well, if you remember the story from last week, you remember that um, this is a tense time. Jacob is in trouble. Jacob is in a, uh, in a, in a, in a fearful situation, and it, and it really is all his own fault. And it really came back to the fact that he did not trust in the Lord. Instead of trusting in the Lord, he took matters into his own hands. He had reached out to to take for himself what God had already chosen and promised to give him. But he couldn't wait for it. 
He couldn't see with his eyes how it was going to come into his hands. He was afraid he was going to lose it. And his mother, of course, was afraid of that as well. So neither one of them were living by faith. Neither one was willing to wait upon God to do what he had said. And so he agreed with his mother's plan, and he reached out, took matters into his own hands to, to uh, seize this uh, blessing for himself. You remember, he also took Esau's birthright by being sneaky, by manipulation. He waited until he was completely famished and exhausted, nearly starving, and he could have cared less about his birthright, Esau, in that situation. He gave it up happily for a bowl of stew. Then he stole his father's blessing, Jacob did, through deception, pretending to be Esau. And now his sin is coming back to bite him at this point. Esau wants to kill him. Esau can't wait to kill him. He is waiting. He's waiting for his father to die, but that's the plan. I'm going to kill him as soon as my dad's dead. It's very sad. And it's very sad to think that if Esau, or if, rather if Jacob had just lived by faith, God surely would have done what he said. He would have brought about what he promised. He would have made Jacob the covenant head one way or another, he would have done that. But because this young man resorted to trickery, to secure it for himself, to steal it for himself, really, his life was now in danger. His brother hated his guts and couldn't wait to kill him, and he has to flee. He has to run away for his life. But look back at the, the first, uh, uh, rather the last verse of chapter 27, what Rebecca says there. You have to realize this, this family is a, a big mess, the way they're relating to each other. Deception after deception. Deception was a way of life for them. It's, it's all throughout this passage. And you would hope they would have learned uh, by, the, by the time you come to the end of chapter 27, they've gone through this terribly destructive incident with um, the stealing of the blessing, and, uh, and yet, no, they haven't learned anything. Uh, Rebecca, at least, still hasn't learned anything. She's still at it, deceiving. She doesn't even um, speak honestly with, with Isaac here and tell him the real reason why she wants Jacob to go away. She says this instead. She says, I, I loathe my life. Basically, I, I can't stand my life because of these Hittite women that Esau's married to. And if Jacob marries one of these Hittite women as well, what good will my life be? Now, this is a half-truth. There's truth to this because she really didn't appreciate the Hittite women at all. It, uh, it, it really upset her and um, her husband as well. And she did not have good feelings about the women of the land, and they shouldn't have intermarried with them. Uh, Esau's Canaanite wives, were told, were a source of grief to, to Isaac and Rebekah. 
But notice the reasons she gives here, how she speaks about this. Um, her reasons for not liking them seem very selfish. You know, she seemed to care more about having likable daughters-in-law for herself rather than that her sons would have godly wives. She, she, uh, she should have been focused more on a desire to have godly, spiritually-minded wives for her children. And here she's just mainly thinking about herself. But that's really not the, not the point here. It's there in the text. But the point, the real point here is that she's deceiving her husband again. She's, she's being false in the way that she's talking about these things. Apparently, they've hidden from Isaac the fact that Esau wants to kill Jacob. That's the real reason for wanting to send him away. Esau wants to, 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 to cut the throat of um, Jacob as, as soon as he has opportunity. Now, she could have told Isaac about that. And perhaps you would hope he would have done something about that. But she didn't do that. Again, here we see her just taking matters into her own hands, scheming, thinking up a plan. For some reason, people think they have to, have to do that. Often they think they have to lie to get what they want, right? Isn't that that's something that we deal with, even as children, and our children deal with it. There's, a, there's a, often a, a, a gut reaction to go to lying in order to get the outcome that is desired or that we think is best. And that's what she did here. The only thing on her mind is saving her favorite son's life. And let's kill two birds with one stone. Let's uh, send him so he can get a, a halfway decent wife. It's no wonder that in God's plan to change Jacob, he took him away from this family. This is just a, a nest of deception over and over. They were not, at least in these instances, being a very good influence on him. And uh, he's embraced that kind of life. Deception was a way of life for all of them. It's really sad to see that. It's sad to see a family operating in this way. May God May God help us to, to make truth-telling and honesty uh, the foundation of our lives and our relationships. And remember that people around us learn from the things that we do, and especially our children will learn from um, the ways that we live. What we sow in our lives will come to fruition in the lives of our children. The sins of parents have a way of uh, being visited upon the children, their children, and even in magnified form. It's worth thinking about what bad things, what sins in our lives could our children be learning from us? Do they learn anger? Do they learn dishonesty? Do they learn coveting because they see it in us? Do they learn to be defensive 
and, and uh, tell lies to get out of trouble? Or do they learn to be humble and honest and to tell the truth and to admit when you're wrong, to confess sin and repent of it? Now, of course, the sin nature in every human being is going to lead a person to drift in the wrong direction uh, without any external help. You don't necessarily need bad examples to lead us in a bad direction. We'll do that quite well on our own because we're all very sinful. But by God's grace, we can also set a good example. The examples that we do set before people do have influence on them. Bad examples will have a bad influence. And good examples, by God's grace, will have a a good influence. We can influence our children and the people around us toward godliness in the way that we live, in the way that we speak, the way that we conduct ourselves in our relationships. Humility, honesty. We can show them a life of trusting the Lord and obeying His Word and heartfelt repentance. We can model that in our lives as well. When we fail, and we do fail, we shouldn't be modeling how to cover up our failures and pretend that we're, we're, we're perfect. We should be open and honest and real and show our children, hey, we realize we've blown it, we've failed, we've sinned. That kind of... Uh, Honesty and transparency was lacking in in Isaac's household. We see how those children picked up on their parents' sins. Oh, may God help us. May he forgive us for our failures in that way. And may he help us to to begin afresh, uh, living with integrity, with truthfulness, with honesty. Whether you have children or not, the people around you are watching. They're watching your life, especially if you profess to be a believer and you make that known that you're a Christian. People are watching, watching your attitudes, watching your words, watching your actions. And you will influence them in one way or another, either for good or for evil. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 here in chapter 8 where we see Isaac's charge to Jacob. There's a little uh, turnaround here we see in Isaac. We're told Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paran Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take a wife for yourself from there from one of the daughters of Laban. First of all, notice that Isaac blesses his son, Jacob. Deliberately. He did it deliberately this time. He had had not done it deliberately the first time. But also this, this whole incident of sending his son off to go find a wife... Going back to Mesopotamia, this reminds us of something that was done 
many years earlier. Isaac himself had gone through something like this. Abraham sent his servant, you remember, uh, on this very same journey from the land of Canaan, sending the servant back to Mesopotamia, back to that uh, old family to find a wife for Isaac. This is how Isaac and Rebekah had come together. That servant, uh, you remember that uh, great caravan of camels and gold and jewelry that was taken along on that trip? Many uh, treasures were taken to uh, impress the family and to lavish those gifts upon them. But here, Jacob doesn't have anything like that. He doesn't have any of those advantages as he goes off on this journey. No gifts uh, that we're told of, in any case. No resources to, to, to show off to his future bride. It seems that he leaves uh, pretty hastily with very little. Not to mention the fact that he is going himself. That's one big difference here. He actually has to go on this journey himself, Jacob does. Remember, Abraham refused to allow Isaac to go on that journey. He said, no, not my son. My son's not going back there. He didn't want to risk that his son might be tempted to stay there in Mesopotamia. He knew he belonged in the promised land, the land that God had promised that he would inherit. But Isaac didn't seem too bothered by that thought at all at this point, but at least he agreed that Jacob should go and that he shouldn't marry a Canaanite woman, so he sends him, sends him on his way. But, but again, first he, he gives this blessing. We're told he confirms the previous blessing, the covenant blessings that he had pronounced on Jacob earlier. Here in verses 3 to 5, he does that. And really what we're seeing is this, it's the same blessing, but he's fleshing it out a little bit further, the same blessing that he had pronounced in the previous chapter, uh, unbeknownst to him. He thought he was pronouncing it on Esau. And here, knowingly, he gives it to Jacob. Knowingly, willingly. That says something. He's willingly pronouncing this blessing now. It seems that he finally realized he was wrong before in trying to give it to Esau. He'd been fighting against God, going against God's will. He knew God's plan was that the older should serve the younger. He'd been fighting against God, and he'd been broken and weaned of that. He's repented, it seems, and now he's willingly giving that blessing to Jacob. He knows Jacob is God's choice. Let's hear again some of these words of this blessing that would have been ringing in Jacob's ears as he uh, went off on his journey. His father says, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you and make you a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring so that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. So Isaac is uttering these words, but this is God's word, really, 
to Jacob. These are God's promises that were given, and they are for Jacob now. And he needs to hear these. He needs to lean upon these words. He needs to believe these things and keep believing them, keep trusting in them, keep relying on God to fulfill these things in his life. That's a very important thing. We need to learn to lean upon God's word in our lives as well, especially in difficult times. Jacob was entering into a very difficult time ahead of him. And in hard times especially, we need to lean upon God's Word. It is such a blessing that we have God's Word to hold to, to be able to think about, to read, to meditate on, to to take into our hearts and to believe. It gives us hope, solid hope. It gives us comfort and assurance. And here Isaac um, gives the word of God to his son to lean upon. And he reminds him of God's gracious promises. These are God's promises that came to Abraham. And they've been passed down. First they were passed down to Isaac, and now they're being passed to Jacob. Such good precious promises, such assuring words that are being communicated to this young man. He's going to have to learn to live by them, to learn to live by faith in these promises of God and the the reality that he has this relationship with God. You know, more and more I think, isn't that what we're all about in this life? learning to live by faith in God's Word and learning to keep holding fast to it. We either learn to live by faith in God's Word or we don't. Many don't. Many never do. They just live out their days focusing on this life, the things of this world, the pleasures of this life. It's a very sad thing. That really is the heart of what we're about as God's people. We have to learn to live by faith in God's word, his wonderful word to us. And as Jacob is wandering off on on this long journey, he's going to have to believe these promises. He's going to have to learn to trust that they're real, that God is true, and that God is really real and for him like this. So I hope you can see what God is doing in this way. He's beginning to to turn Jacob um, from being a a self-sufficient schemer who, who only knows how to try to get things for himself. And now he's he's forming him into a humble man who learns to trust in the Lord and not in himself. And notice the way that that transformation happens. It's beginning to happen here in this passage, and it happens by hearing the Word of God. He's hearing the Word of God through his Father. He's hearing it, and he's beginning to believe it. 
That's how it happens in our lives as well. We have to hear the word of God. We hear it when we gather together in the church. We hear it when we read the scriptures. And God works faith in our hearts through that by his spirit. Look at some of the other specific things said in this blessing. First, Isaac says, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. And he says, So that you may become a company of peoples. The name used here for God is, is God Almighty, El Shaddai, the all-powerful God. This is a great comfort to Jacob to hear this name for God. He's being reminded that this is his God. This is the God who goes with him. This is the God who is going to be with him in the future and fulfill these promises. Jacob isn't going to be able to boast in the end about any successes he has or blessings that come upon him. It won't be by his own doing. It won't be by his own craftiness or his own ability or by his strength. It will be by the strength of God Almighty, El Shaddai. Jacob was a pretty crafty uh, individual. He, he had uh, uh, probably some ability to do things for himself. He could have been very tempted to think that he, he deserved the credit for his future successes. But this promise reminds him otherwise. No, Jacob, it won't be your doing. All the blessing and power will come from God Almighty. Next, he's told that he's going to have many descendants, a community of people, the text says. Now here, God is not just promising to make Jacob and his descendants um, a great nation. He is promising that. This is the promise that looks forward to Uh, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. But it's not just that. It's not just a nation of people. It's bigger than that. You have to think bigger. You have to think future. The word community comes from the Old Testament word for church. It's the assembly of God. This is the community of peoples uh, that... Uh, goes far beyond the borders of Israel. This is the first time this word is used in the Bible. God is telling Jacob something wonderful here. He's telling this man who is such a rascal by nature, he's telling him, Jacob, by my grace, by my power, your family is going to become a great assembly of people, people who are my people, people who uh, know the Lord and serve me in the world. Again, this is not just the promise of Israel. This is the promise of the church. First in its seed form, yes, Israel, but then in time, expanding 
and becoming a great assembly made up of people from every tribe and tongue and nation, people who will come to God and know him through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what God's promising here. And in verse 4, Jacob is told, May he give the blessings of Abraham to you. May God give the blessings of Abraham to you, Jacob, so that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Here God's confirming again that Jacob is receiving the same blessing that was spoken and given to Abraham. It's given, it was given to Abraham even though he didn't uh, take possession of it yet. It was his even though possession was yet in the future. And Jacob is now in that line. He's the head of that covenant line. And again, the emphasis here is not on Jacob being some really great special guy here, some great stellar figure. He was not. He was not a good guy. He was a pretty bad guy, as we've seen. But the emphasis here is all on God's grace, just as it was to Abraham and to Isaac. It's the wonder of God's grace. And it's the same for us. We are pretty bad, too, just like Jacob. But God receives us as we are. He's not going to leave us as we are, though. He's going to change us, just as he's doing with Jacob. But he accepts us. He forgives us. He cleanses us. And then he blesses us. It's hard to believe that God does all these things for his people. We want to think that we're the ones who reach out and take hold of salvation, that we're the ones who bring ourselves to God, that we're the ones who contribute something good to our salvation. But it's not so. We're really just like Jacob. We have nothing good to bring to God. What we bring to him is our sin. And we must simply receive his grace as a gift. And his grace abounds to us. It abounds even beyond the worst of our sins. So we can look to Jacob and be very encouraged. God treats us the way he treated Jacob with grace upon grace, amazing grace. And he does this for us because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. Coming into the world, living under God's law, dying for our sins, and giving us his perfect righteousness, his perfect relationship with the Father, that's what we inherit. And God blesses us with those blessings and forevermore. And not because of our works, 
but because of his marvelous grace in Christ. By his grace and grace alone, we're saved. Lastly, look at verses 6 to 9 here. We see more of, um, more of Esau's folly. Esau, we're not done with Esau yet, and he's not done making bad choices. Um, he hears this, uh, maybe he overheard the conversation, or maybe just heard about it, his father blessing Jacob and sending him away to find a wife. And uh, he, he heard, of, heard of that reason. Uh, they didn't, the parents did not want him to take a, a wife from among the Canaanites. He's going to go find a wife in Padanaram. He knows his parents are displeased with him for taking these Canaanite wives. And so Esau decides to try to make amends. He tries to appease them, it seems. He tried to right his wrong by finding another wife, one that he thought would be a, a little uh, more pleasing to them, this time one that was connected um, to the family. So he married one of the daughters of Ishmael. Ishmael, who of course was a son of Abraham. But this is again a really bad choice, really sad that he does this for a couple reasons. First of all, the line of Ishmael was not part of the covenant line at all. Ishmael and his descendants were cut off from the covenant. They were promised many blessings earthly blessings, but they had nothing to do with God's covenant. They had nothing to do with the spiritual blessings that God had promised to bring about uh, through Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob. No more than the Canaanites, really, uh, did, did, uh, uh, did this new wife um, she, she was no better than, than them. She had nothing spiritually over the Hittite women. So marrying this Ishmaelite woman was another big failure on Esau's part, another foolish decision. But more importantly, we see he's just doing it to try to gain the favor of his parents, trying to please them, trying to win their favor, win their approval by his efforts. And that's a picture, isn't it? That's a picture of our natural tendency, man's natural tendency to try to make himself right, try to make himself better by his own efforts. And that is futile. Even our very best efforts, our very best works, fall far short of God's perfection. The natural man knows in his heart that he's not right with God. He knows that he does not have the favor and blessing of God. He knows that God is displeased with him. Of course, the Word of God teaches that very clearly. But instead of humbly confessing his sin and calling on God for grace... Man just keeps trying to climb ladders, trying to improve himself, trying to win 
favor for himself by his own efforts. Like Esau. That's what Esau was doing here on a human level with his parents. Esau thought too lightly of his sin and his failures. Instead of confessing them and going to his parents and repenting of his wrongs, asking for their forgiveness, he just tries to cover up his bad deeds with one that he thought was a little better. There's no real repentance at all in this man. Still, repentance is what he needed. He needed to confess his failures and call out for forgiveness, for grace. And that's what we all need, too. Always, all the days of our lives, we need to be very careful to not fall back into living like Esau here, trying to earn favor based on what we do, whether it's favor with God or favor with man, trying to merit God's blessing. That doesn't work. It can't be done. Only leads to more and more sin, more and more self centered living. Instead, you and I need to look away from ourselves. We need to look to Jesus Christ, the one that God has promised and sent into the world to secure favor for us. He and He alone has merited God's perfection and grace for us. And he did it by his works. We need to look away from ourselves and our own efforts and look to him and keep looking to him always. Keep trusting in his blood that takes away your sin. That is everything. Looking to Jesus Christ is everything. He is the basis on which God accepts you and gives you his eternal favor. And he will bless you with every spiritual blessing as you trust in his son and him alone and continue to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ all your days. Let's pray together. Our God and Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is proclaimed to us through the scriptures, Old and New Testament. We thank you that we've heard it this day. We pray that each and every one here would receive it with faith and appropriate it in our lives. Enable us to do that by your spirit. We especially pray, Lord, that you would continue your good work of transforming uh, your people by your word. And teach us, teach us to continue to walk by faith uh, in reliance on your grace uh, all our days. Your grace that is ours only through the Lord Jesus Christ. We cling to him and give you thanks and praise for this great, mighty Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.